Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Welcome to Paradox Update News. This is dropping the week of Thanksgiving. Yes, it is. And so we, we thought... Hold on, hold on, hold on. What? We were discussing today, and Jimbo wanted to do a show Thanksgiving on week gluttony. on gluttony. And I thought that was another attempt to body shame me. So I wanted to go with the update news. If you would, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, come to Life Austin Church. You'll hear me speak about gluttony. And your own bulbous mass in front of your body? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about it. I made a fat joke against myself this past weekend on a camping trip, and I had a buddy, Zach Hinky, is his name. He said, Josh, you know you're actually not that big, so your fat jokes aren't that funny. But see, he has very, very bad eyesight. Everyone knows that he's virtually blind, <laughs> so you can't take, really, what he says. He maybe ruined the self-concept that I had for myself for 35 years in one moment. Josh, you're yes. really not that big. Mm. You know, it's in the eye of the beholder. We've got news articles to get to, things on parenting, things on marriage, things in the general. And we're going to start with the general. This was in the news this past week that there is a man in Deutschland, a Dutch man. That's Holland, right? A guy in, guy in Holland. I think that's offensive. To be in Deutschland? For every Hollandite, yeah. You called him a Hollandite. Yeah. A Hollandender. I'm not going to say who said this, but we had friends move to the Dominican Republic, mm -hmm. and this person asked these friends, if it would be, I forget the question, but if it would be hard to get to know the Dominican Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is funny. That's good. I don't care who you are. All right, the first thing is this guy in, in Holland who is 69 years old, he is suing the Dutch government because he identifies as 49. How old is he? 69. How old? 69. And so he's suing because he's going, hey, if you can pick your gender, you should be able to pick your age. Which is the logical conclusion. Well, of course. And pick way. your race. Yes. Pick your occupation. I identify as a neurosurgeon. I'm Lauren James. Anyway, I thought that was a little funny. It's still going through the courts, but it's sort of... The fact well, that of the courts are is, entertaining it says a lot. They entertain that you can choose your gender. What would be, I know you threw out neuroscientist, uh, is that what you said? Probably. Give me one thing that maybe you wish you could identify as, if that was such a, and I know a lot of people think it is such a thing, but if it was such a thing that you could make up anything, what would you be? I already know what you'd say. 185 pounds of just muscle and brawn. No, that's not what I think you'd To be say. able to look down and see my feet? Nope. To have my stomach be an internal organ? Movie star. Oh, yes. But I am an actor, so, you know, it's, yeah. I think a lot of people, when they came to Six Flags and saw the gunfight show, aspired to be me. Mm -hmm. Like, if you could identify as Liz Manuel Miranda. I never know his name. 
Elizabeth. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, it's Lynn. <laughs> Are you not going to ask me what oh, I would yeah, like? Yeah, what to would be? you? What would you be, Josh? I'm glad you asked. I actually don't know. So, our first news article when it comes to parenting is that half the teens in America are sleep deprived. That I'm, I'm not sure that's news to anybody. And so a lot of people have been going, OMG, what do we do? What do, is this about? Oh, it's the light. It's the, it's the color of light coming off their phones. So get them off of screens earlier. Get them to stop studying earlier. Have them gargle melatonin. Do you know what the number one solution was? And this was in a pretty large study that was done. What helped teens sleep longer and better? Bible reading. Prayer and Bible study. That goes without saying. Christ, but, Christian community. Mm -hmm. It was a better mattress, better bedding, and a better pillow. That's lame. Exactly. That it has was nothing to do with technology. It has nothing to do with social media. It had to do with better bedding, mattress, and pillow. Well, so we, there you have it. We have a glorified piece of cardboard that JJ sleeps on. Just mm -hmm. the thinnest mattress. And you're condemning him to a life of mediocrity. Hmm. Well, as soon as we're not on a decade-old mattress, they'll get they get the hand-me-down mattresses. Uh, as a general rule of thumb, your teenagers need to be getting between ten to twelve hours. Yeah, us adults are more like six to eight, but ten to twelve for teenagers, which, by the way, is impacted by the importance that you place on school. It impacts their growing. It impacts and all the sports that you allow them to play. Their ability to cognitively perform. Stop Absolutely. pressuring them for everything. Yeah. Number two is there's a ton of research, and I didn't write them all down, but there's a, a, a ton of new research that is indicating the negative impact. Now, here we're not talking sleep, but the social, mental, psychological impact of too much screen time. And this is from ifstudies.com. We're talking not only just social media, but watching, you know, binging on Netflix, the video games, any type of obsessive viewing of screens. And just how across the board kids' quality of life improves with the more screen time is restricted in their life. And this goes along with it. It's not the same study. But there was a study done in the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology that said students who limit – listen to this – students who limit Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram use show a marked reduction in loneliness and depression. Well, and we've talked about this in a roundabout way, but in the 90s, I probably wasn't invited to 95% of parties, and I was none the wiser Monday morning. Mm -hmm. So it's not surprising that limiting those things has that type of But do you know effect. how many parents will say, well, I can't take their phone away. That's how they communicate with their friends. It'll add to their loneliness. If I No, no, no. The exact opposite, opposite is, true. is true. If you get them off the freaking phone. And they're not staring at other people hanging out. Uh -huh. producing loneliness inside them. Yes. Loneliness and depression are reduced by limiting Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram. They have a, a, a device in their pocket or in their backpack that they can sit and text depressed messages to their friends, mm -hmm. producing more depression. Mm -hmm. Doesn't help. It magnifies. Yes. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, their phone is an exacerbator. It's going to exacerbate their... Happiness, it's going to exacerbate their loneliness. It's going to exacerbate their depression. Exacerbate, exacerbate, exacerbate. It's an exacerbator. Say that 10 times fast. No. The last one on parenting is... Didn't we discuss doing one parenting, one marriage, one yeah. parenting? Yeah, we threw that out. You, the number you, one... You threw that out. Yeah. 
the number one parents, the number one reason that parents say that they don't warn their kids about pornography. I thought this was very interesting. The reason they don't have the talk with their kids about pornography. And according to a study with parents, the number one was a false sense of security. It's not going to happen to my child. My child would not look at porn. And again, the, I'm, I'm, I'm still to this day flummoxed with how many parents are in here and they talk about their kids who are, you know, boys or whatever. They're 13, 14, 15. They have phones. And I'll say, so what What blocking, what accountability software? Oh, you know, that's not really a need in our home. And I've always thought that it was just lazy, if, if that's the right word, lazy parents that didn't want to monitor and block their own devices. Yeah. So that's interesting that they just don't feel like it's going to be false a false sense of security. Because, I mean. Not my child. JJ and Sam won't. But for all those other... All the other ones will. ...parents out there, yeah. yeah, that is an issue. With porn, your kids are going to be exposed and potentially view, even if it's not chronic viewing. The same is true of your spouses, if I can tie marriages in here. Pornography within a marriage cannot be don't ask, don't tell. Y'all need to be asking and you need to be telling. I don't know how many times we can say that. Hopefully you guys are heeding that. It doesn't need to be this daily accountability where wife, you're asking your husband, are you again? You need to be accountable to a same-sex accountability mm-hmm. partner, but it needs to be whenever she or he wants to ask, they can ask. Yeah. It's important that we know our spouses are viewing. Yeah, absolutely. This was put out in Psychology Today, and this is from a book that was written by Randy Gunther, and that Randy is a female. And it is uh, the 10 crucial behaviors that keep love alive. The study was successful marriages. These are the 10 things that these really successful marriages all do. And the first one is living in the heart and the mind of your partner. Basically trust. You know each other. They know you. You know them. And you get that way by communicating, by knowing, by having intimacy, and you trust each other. Number two, keeping private knowledge and confidence. What are these these 10? These are the 10 things that make thriving long-term relationships last. Keeping private knowledge confident, in confidence. I think that's very interesting. We don't think about that very often. But you want to violate trust, then take your dirty underwear to... Your spouse and what's going on with you and your spouse, take it to your buddies or your wife, take it to her girlfriends. And you have to find through a third term that she's been talking about your performance issues in bed or whatever. That is like a dagger. And so keeping private knowledge in confidence. And oh, by the way, I have a lot of teenagers that get upset at their parents for this very thing. Exactly. That moms will go to their mom's group and have a prayer request. Yes. And yes. just blab to their friends about all their teenagers' business. More than once. A and you kid, talk about a PO'd kid. Yes. The kid comes home because another kid at school heard his mom talking about him and what the other mom said. Yes, absolutely. Number three is the acceptance of imperfections. Letting the other person be wrong, letting them make mistakes, not demanding. We talked, and we've mentioned on here before, the better your kid is, the higher the standard that you hold them to. You know, there's like, oh, then they've got to be all A's. And if they even, you know, spell the word sex, it's it's horrific. And we can almost do that with our spouses, accepting imperfections and realize there's a great book by um, Paul David Tripp called What Did You Expect? And it's sort of a book for newlyweds, but it's a wonderful concept. Hey, you, you know, you're a rotten, miserable sinner. 
you married a rotten, miserable sinner, exactly what it was it that you were expecting? What did you expect? So number three on this list is accepting imperfections. The freedom to differ. I always tell people that's a huge one. If you want to just have like a litmus test as to if something is wrong in your relationship is if you cannot agree to disagree, if you cannot do that. If one of the parties, no, 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 you have to admit I'm right. We, we cannot walk away from this. I can't handle the fact that you disagree with me. You have to admit that I'm right and you're wrong. Then there's a problem. So number four is the, the freedom to differ. Number five, not taking anything for granted. The effort that the other one puts in in raising the kids, the effort to work and to, to raise money, the effort around the house, not taking each other for granted. Number six, the courage in the face of threats to the relationship. If something happens, if um, every relationship is going to face challenges, and if those challenges bring you together or whether they tear you apart, something happens with a child or yeah, whatever. resiliency. Mm-hmm. Number seven, keeping perspective. Number eight, your home needs to be a place of healing, a place of calm. Number nine, I love this one, the belief in the other person's inherent value. We talk about this all the time, you know, that you have positional worth. You have worth not because of what you do. You're not, you know, whether you get a promotion or whether you make a lot of money or whether we live in the houses like everyone else maybe lives in. The other person, your spouse, has inherent value because they're a child of God. And then recognizing that love is not ownership. That's another mark of really successful jealousy. Jealousy is just is really a, an indicator of a of very immature relationship. And so those are the 10 things that long-term successful couples all have in common. Jimbo always does more work in preparation for our content episodes. Yes, I do. Um, you don't really do anything at all. You, it sounded like you found 30 different articles. With all your information, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to bring one. Mm-hmm. This is out of um, Gottman, John Gottman. Jimbo brings him up a lot, but out of the Gottman Institute, one of the leading researchers of just marriage within the U.S. And this is a study out in 2016, so a couple years back. But they just found that emotionally intelligent husbands are key to a lasting marriage. Define emotionally intelligent. Emotional intelligence is the ability to acknowledge more than just one emotion, anger. Mm-hmm. It's also being able to pick up accurately on the emotion of your spouse. Both of those things guys just struggle with. We talk about how guys are not trained as emotional creatures when our wives often are. We have to allow our wives to train us into being emotional creatures. And by that I mean emotional intelligence is the word that Gottman uses, but the ability to experience the full range of emotions from happiness, joy, excitement, all the way to sadness, disappointment, and hurt. Most guys are just numb, and then they feel anger, and that's not emotional intelligence. And you have someone sleeping next to you at night that can help you to be more. So we have to allow... Uh, influence our wives to influence us in positive ways like that. And probably one of the great indicators whether anyone, men or women, have emotional intelligence or whether they are mature in their relationship is the presence of empathy, being able to see something through someone else's eyes, to, to be able to feel what someone else feels. Empathy is something that guys really struggle with as a rule. And again, that's a that's an indicator of emotional intelligence. Well, that's it. That's the top news of the day when it comes to parenting and family and wanting to scam the Dutch government 
uh, by identifying as someone younger. I would like to identify as older so I can get elderly benefits. AARP mm-hmm. benefits. And discounts at all the restaurantes. If you want more information about this show or any of our previous, it's paradoxpodcast.com. You can find us on our socials there as well. We hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving, and we appreciate you for listening. See ya. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. One of the things I'm so grateful uh, Jimmy, I'm not going to call you Jimbo like your son does, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> but one of the things, though, is, you know, I'm grateful to Dr. King and the civil rights movement because of what they did. Man, I can swim in any public swimming pool I want. Uh, my kids can go to any public school they want to go to. Um, but while the civil rights movement could change laws, it couldn't change hearts. 